Welcome to another episode of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings, from Marcus Today. And today, I'm really, really lucky, and I know I say that a lot, but I am really lucky to be joined by Louise Bedford. Now, Louise, for those of you that don't know, is an absolute charting and technical analysis guru. She is a huge presence in technical analysis, and I have to say, it's really great to have a chance to sit down with her today. Um, Louise is one of the most compelling speakers on the share market circuit, I have to say. Uh, as, and she's been in the market for, well, I'd say about 10 years. Uh, but she says she says 30. But looking at her on the video, I'd say it's only about 10 years. At least the 30 years has been very kind to Louise, unlike me. And she has um, been a mentor and trained hundreds, if not thousands of people in her methods to maximize their trading potential. She's not only uh, a great chartist, but she's also a behavioral finance expert and has degrees in psychology and business. And I've got to say, Louise, you are a, a machine when it comes to, to marketing and, and the, the amount of work you do with your books, podcasts, mentoring, and all the other things that you do. It's um, it's impressive, to say the least. I've got to say it's fantastic. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. And you, my friend, you're the machine. I love the guests you have on your show. It's fantastic hearing you and seeing you in person. Oh, wow. It's it's not as um, not as good as seeing you in person, but uh, we'll take we'll, we'll take that. But anyway, it, it's delightful to get you uh, on this podcast today. I'm really looking forward to chatting. Uh, just before we do kick off, though, just remember this is general advice only. So uh, please consult your financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas, or insights that Louise and I discuss on this show. So general advice only. But Louise, welcome. I'm going to go straight for the jugular here because um, I'm not a chartist, and um, but I do pay attention to charts. It's not to say I don't. So technical analysis, going for the jugular, does it work? Absolutely. What we're looking at with technical analysis is looking at the price and volume action. So this is not just wondering whether people have the right PE ratio and seeing whether that has an impact on the share price action. This is actually watching people put their money where their mouth is and looking at chart patterns and specific things that you can build into your trading plan as rules that you can follow time and time again. Right. Well, that sounds good. And and you're the ch- you're the candlestick queen they call you. Is that is that correct? How pleasant. Yes, I was crowned many years ago. I bought candlesticks as a method to Australia way back when. I wrote my first book on options only because my publisher, which is Wiley, they would not let me write that book on candles because they said nobody's going to be interested. It's a 300-year-old Japanese technique and no one is going to want to hear from you about it. So have a bestseller first and then we'll let you write what you want to write <laughs> well th- that that was probably um relatively good advice i've got to say louis i first came across you because of your first book on options because i was an options trader in london ah. many, years, many years ago in a previous life i was on the london stock exchange floor and i started my career uh, if you can call it that um as an options trader, a stock options trader in London, shouting and screaming at people daily. And my Bible at the time was uh, how uh, Lawrence Macmillan options as a strategic investment, which is required reading. But yours was the second most required reading book on options. So it was. It, I instantly had an affinity with you all those years ago. Oh, that's magic. It's nice to know that we've got a long history. <laughs> well, we have, even if you don't know it. So, um, so okay, so... Let's forget the options part of the world for a a second. Candlesticks. Why is this 300-year-old Japanese uh, method of technical analysis uh, your go-to or as as important as you you propose? Well, 
For those of us that don't fully understand the candles world, what we're talking about is the green and red bar charts where the body of the candle is colored in either green or red. So if the market has gone up for that period, the little candle body is colored in green. If the market has gone down for that period, the candle body is colored in red. So instantly we have color, we have vibrancy, we have a little soap opera playing out on the candle chart. You can see the enthusiastic bulls because there's so many long green candles and you can see the devastation of the bears as the price drops and the chart is splashed with blood. So to me, it is such a visual connection. It is so alive and vibrant and it is something that we can build specific rules around. It's starting to seem like a Game of Thrones episode, I have to say, Louise. (laughs) Well, it is. There's also wonderful Japanese names that come into play. So we've got things like Doji, and they actually used to live at the top of a hill because that's the best real estate in ancient Japan. Look out over the valley and control all of the minions. So in the chart, there are some very colourful names like Doji and also things like Morning Star and Evening Star. And once you understand the psychology of the candle, then you can interpret it and make money from it. You see, this is probably where I have the problems because I'm colorblind to red-green. So all this, all, this, ah. all this wonderfulness you describe is, um, is not quite so wonderful to me in vibrant colors. It's more sort of a, a dull colors, but be that as it... Well, Henry, I do have a thought for you. You know in the Westerns how they used to have the good guys wearing the white hats and the bad guys wearing the black hats? Change your candles to black and white compared to red and green. You've still got your soap opera, my friend. We have, ebony and ivory. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's good. Well, I I will try that. I must admit my colour blindness isn't that bad, so um, I'm playing it up a little bit. So candlesticks, we'll move on a little bit from that, but... There's a lot of technology. I remember when I started out in this business, as I'm sure you did um, some some years ago, is that it was all done on paper with pencil and marking charts and all this sort of stuff, big rolls of paper. And now it's so computerized and, and you can just buy a package. Um, is there a temptation for, for traders or wannabe traders to buy the package, to start looking at the candlesticks and not really know what they're doing and with a little knowledge being a dangerous thing? Is, is that where you come in? I think it's very human to take shortcuts and we do want the easy way, but the concept of the candles does hold whether you're drawing it by hand or whether you're examining it on a chart. The lady that introduced me to candles all those years ago, she actually had a Reuters screen and she drew two-minute tick charts by hand on the wall because back then Reuters didn't have candles. So it was wonderful to see that you can actually use it if you're drawing it by hand, but how much more convenient is it now to be able to have it in a charting package? So definitely don't take the shortcut of thinking that just because you've got this idea that you don't have to follow your trading rules, everything comes down to setups and triggers. And candles make a fantastic trigger. They are not so great with the setup because we need to make sure the primary trend is in place and trade in line with that primary trend. But as a trigger, they really come into their own. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's something to consider. Now, I, I know that a lot of traders that, that buy their first package, um, you know, they, they do the paper trading and that sort of thing. How does it differ going from the, the theoretical world, the paper trade, to actual real money, you, you, you mentor a lot of traders. Is this a massive issue or is this something that you can easily work with them and through? It is a huge issue. This is one of the things that as soon as you've got your own money involved in the markets, all of a sudden your IQ drops out of your left ear. (laughs) (laughs) They've actually shown as well in recent research and duplicated research that there's a concept called interoception. Now, interoception is your own physical awareness of your bodily functions inside your body. So, So how aware are you that you're sweating? How aware are you that you're tense in a particular area? But in particular, heartbeat and is your stomach grumbling? Now that interoception is quite an interesting area because the more physically aware of yourself that you are, the more money you make and the longer you hang around as a trader. 
It is duplicated in study after study. So really, the thing I think when people are moving from a paper trading environment to the actual real environment is that they're underestimating the power of their physicality. They're not realizing that this is going to hit them right where it hurts in the hip pocket. So, so how do you overcome that as a, as a trader? How do you make that successful transition? I know there's there's people like yourselves around that will help them with that transition. But how, if, if I'm just starting out and I don't have the resources or haven't found your wonderful uh, website and, and, and you, how do you ov- overcome that? Well, luckily it can be trained and the research comes across very strongly that this is something that we can train. So I would suggest two streams. Firstly, you work on your trading plan. Make sure your trading plan covers every contingency. A trading plan has to also cover your trading system. So your system is your entry, your exit, and your position sizing. So once you've got that down pat and you feel that you've got an affinity with that, you can put it in line with your values, that it makes sense to you and you can actually do this, then it also comes down to your self-management levels. And that's where things like breathing exercises and meditation and even taking a pause can make such a difference. From a behavioral finance aspect. We know that when we watch traders, and I've done this with my traders, I'll watch a trader put on an order and Henry, do you know what they do? They take in a deep breath and then they hold their breath. That is just, yes, it is so common to see. It is such a behavioral trigger to stimulate that fight, flight, freeze situation. And we don't want that. We know in our brain that that deep limbic system, that very old system that your ancestors passed on to you to keep you alive, that is actually triggered when we hold our breath. So we need to make sure that we have that physical awareness, that we're breathing, that we're controlling our heartbeat, and even all of these 1% ideas. Watch your diet, watch how you sleep, make sure that you're not hangry and angry and hungry at the same time. There is a load of research around these areas. So you can make a very big difference to your own physicality and your trading results as well by being physically aware of where you are how you're feeling, and making sure you tick all of those boxes so that you are actually ready to enter the market. I think that's the best thing anyone's ever said to me, actually, as far as trading goes. It's fantastic. I, 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 myself, I know that from my, my trading days, um, there were times when you felt like you were invincible, that you could do no wrong, that you're in tune with the matrix. Um, and then there were other times when you were completely out of kilter, and completely, no matter what brilliant idea you had, it always stuffed up. Um, and you just had that kind of run. I guess people talk about, you know, run of bad luck or whatever. But there were times when you could be very in tune. And maybe that's the, that psychology you're talking about, those breathing exercises. Um, there was a book out that was reviewed recently about how to learn to breathe. I don't know whether you saw this. And, and there were um, people that were taping their mouths shut for months uh, under a study to, to see the benefits, the extra benefits of breathing only through your nose as opposed to your mouth. And it was yeah. quite remarkable, mm. quite remarkable. It, it is. And we've actually changed the very shape of our face and our nasal cavity. It All it takes is two generations on processed food. Our jaws become smaller. Our nose sticks out more. It's not as flat. Our nostrils are smaller. And Really, I always wondered back in the caves, how did the snorers not get wiped out? Because wouldn't you just stab Sven? You just go, no, shut up, mate, stab. But no, they didn't snore as much because they weren't eating the processed food that we're eating. So they just had the capacity to be able to take in that air and to be able to expel it appropriately. So some of the things, how do we translate this to the trading world? Let's have a think. One of the big areas that I'm looking at with my traders is the value of the pause. 
Now, if we look at a wonderful tennis coach, I take a lot of my examples from high-performance psychology, Jim Lahir. Now, what he did is he had a look at winning tennis players and tennis players that were on the losing side of the circuit. And he had a look to see what makes the difference because their skills are roughly the same. What are they doing in that 16 to 20 second gap when they walk back after hitting the ball They've got it over the net. Everything's gone beautifully. You know what they're doing in that 16 to 20 second pause? They are breathing and they are visualizing their next shot. They are not thinking about what's happened in the past. They're not thinking about their shopping list. They are totally in the present. As traders, we need to do the same thing. We need to work out whether we are in that fulcrum area of the seesaw, that middle area where we're content. If we're euphoric or if we're depressed, this will have an impact on our trading results. The research shows it and also high performance psychology shows it as well. Wow. Um, I was just thinking back to the caveman thing and snoring. My, my wife would just kick me out of the cave and I'd get eaten by a T-Rex. So she wouldn't even have to stab me. But I'm um, hearing you, yeah. But the, the, the psychology is... is is such a significant part of your trading strategy, isn't it? It's far more than just a rote, you know, moving average does this, this is happening, therefore you do this. Does, does it mean that we should mechanize the system? Does it mean that we should take the emotion out? Does it mean that we should take ourselves out of the equation and, and come up with an with a algorithm that takes all of the signals into account and forget about the snoring and being out of tune with the market. As much as possible, we do need to remove that human element. So one of the things that I like to help my traders with is to use an archetype for their perfect type of chart. So just picture, Henry, imagine the type of chart that has everything going for it. It's got the perfect setup. It's got the perfect trigger. It's exactly where you want to be. Now, once you've got that in mind, then your future trades, you can actually match those over the top as if it's tracing paper to your archetype. And once you've got that, you have got a much higher probability trade. We're dealing in probabilities. There is no certainty. We're just trying to maximize our chances of coming out with a profit. So if we can match our archetype, you may have more than one. I have three. If you can match your archetype and you can control your own emotions and your self-worth, so much study in self-worth at the moment, you have got a really good chance of totally knocking this out of the park. Wow. I mean, there's so much more um, to your methodology than just um, the, the, the computerized um, trading signals, I guess. Um, is there, uh, you, you talk about your three signals. Is, is there one that you can give us that uh, is your sort of perfect visual? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that with the archetype. Sure. So I've got the three archetypes. I've got a breakout, a reset, and I've got a retracement. So let's look at the breakout. That's a 72% of the trades that I take. For some of the people I've trained, it's up to 95%. So this is the big one. So I'll give you this one. What we're looking at is we're looking at a series of the Darvis-like boxes. For those of you that know technical analysis, you want sideways progression and you want it to go up with a long green candle on heavy relative volume, closing at or near that candle's high. Now that's the signal and you're going to act in the next period. So as long as that next period is above the midpoint of the previous candle, then you can go. So you want that next signal to have completely cleared resistance. It's going to be completely the entire body and the high and the low of the candle is positioned above that resistance line. That is a green light, my friend. Now, if you're new, and you are listening to this and you have had your head blown off by what I said in the last two minutes, please give yourself time to learn. You need to hang around this arena, get used to that jargon, let it flow over you because in time you will conquer this. You will learn what I'm saying and you will go, hell, that is good. So give yourself time to learn. I think people deprive themselves of time in this game, Henry. Yeah, I mean, does it become second nature after a little while, these sorts of things? Are these these set up? Yeah. Sure it does. 
Yeah, yeah. Eventually, it will become so clear to you that if somebody shook you awake at 3am and said, tell me your best archetype, you would be able to just wrote, recite it. There it is. And you would know your favourite archetypes from the past. You'd have them pinned up at your computer screen so that you can just glance over in your success environment and see that archetype and see whether the new opportunity matches your existing archetype. Wow, this is great. Um, Louise, is there, are there markets that um, these sort of archetypes work better in than others or does this kind of uh, cover a broad range, whatever instruments you're, you're trading in? Well, the more robust your archetype, the more markets it will apply to. So there are some examples where particular charts, I'm going to put in inverted commas here, like particular candlestick patterns. For example, if you've got something like NAB, you've got a load of bullish engulfing, a load of bearish engulfing, and of course you've got the dark cloud cover which is associated with that same type of pattern. So there are some things particular to particular charts. They do have an affinity with the way that they move in some, some circumstances, not all charts. But our archetype should be robust enough to be able to handle any time frame, any market, anything where there is enough supply demand so that there's enough price discovery. That's what we're after. If you have something with low volume, you are not going to be able to interpret these charts with visual acuity. And, and how do you handle gapping risk? Because one of the one of the issues with equities is always that they have an announcement, they have their results. It's not like foreign exchange or something like that, which sort of is nearly 24-7 or Bitcoin, etc. There is this gapping risk that suddenly you get a result and it opens 15% higher or lower. Uh, and we've seen extreme well, volatility to the max, I guess, in the last decade in just increasing uh, by the result season, I think. So how do you handle that gapping risk? Yeah. Well, there's two types of gapping risks that we have to look at. We need to look at it in terms of entry and we also need to consider it in terms of exit. So from an entry perspective, if something has gapped up a lot and you have got a massive green candle, that is going to create a high risk environment for you to get involved. So there needs to be some point in time where you say that has gone up too much. So one of the things that you could do, there are many different ways to handle this, but you could have a look at the average volatility over the last five days. And you could say that if it's gone up way above that average, so let's say the average is it's going up and down by 5%. If this thing has gone up by 10%, you could step away. So if it's gone up by average volatility times two, then you can step away because we're trying to formularise this, aren't we? We're trying to make this very specific. Now, that is one thing that you could do, but then also consider it on the stop side. So the risk here is if you have an auto stop in and it gaps past your stop, that sometimes, depending on the system that you're using, may not trigger your auto stop loss. So this is a real risk. That's why people turn to things like CFDs with GSLOs, because a GSLO, a guaranteed stop loss order, the GSLO will take you out at that point, regardless of whether there was actually trading there or not. So yes, we have to consider it. We have to consider outliers. But in general terms, if you have a very well-written trading plan that covers every contingency, you have got something to follow when you are suddenly driven batty because you've got money in the market and everybody goes crazy. Just for those um, those listeners that are not familiar with the CFDs and the GSLOs, um, maybe you could explain that and how much, you know, there must be a cost to that because you're, you're, accessing an insurance scheme and with anything insurance-wise, there's always a cost. <laughs> yeah, and you're quite right. And you have to work out whether that cost is justified. So firstly, with CFDs, they're not going to cover every single aspect of every single market. And they don't offer GSLOs on every occasion. So sometimes that GSLO will be quite a long way away from the price action if they have deemed it a higher risk position, then their GSLO won't be able to come too close to that price action. So you do have to factor that in. But what we're looking to do is to quantify risk, evaluate whether that is within our risk limits, 
and to act. So when you set, um, forgetting GSLOs and the guaranteed stop losses, when, when you set your own stop losses for trading, is that an art or a science? Science. <laughs> That's definitive. <laughs> <laughs> That's the shortest answer I've given you today. <laughs> it, is. It, it is, and and probably the best. Um, so, so, and when you say science, that that's. That's part of the trading plan from the, from the get-go, is it? Absolutely. We really need to make sure that our trading system is included in our trading plan. So that big part of it, that it's probably going to be the majority of the time that you're going to spend creating your trading plan, is going to be on your system. That entry, exit and position sizing, that is really what is going to make the difference for you. If you've got a robust trading system, then you've got a really good chance of making money in the markets. You see, something that always um, confounds me is that, is that people think that they you know, they can read a Facebook uh, meme thing about a stock and they can pile in and make lots of money. But when you're making something, it requires effort. And this is what you're talking about. It requires effort, knowledge, experience. And you've got to put in that effort to get the result. You can't just follow the taxi cab tip or, you know, you may do once or twice and get it right. But at the end of the day, it is about working. And, and what you're saying is putting in the hard work and creating that trading plan and creating that, that circumstance for your own personality as well and your psychology to put in the work, which I think is so important. And unfortunately, during bull markets, people just go, nah, you know what, I'll just buy it because it goes up. And then in bear markets, of course, it doesn't always go up. And there is actually research to suggest that if you avoid the worst days in the market, that you will actually do better because, you know, with financial planners, often financial planners are saying, wow, if you can just be in for these best days, you're going to be amazing. You're going to be able to retire when you're 30. Won't it be wonderful? But actually, when we look at the figures and we see the charts, if you you avoid those worst days, you actually have an equity curve that scores better than if you were in for those best days, but you were also in for those worst days. So when I'm looking at $1,000 invested in the S&P 500, and we look at the total return index percent returns, if you've got the index where you're just buying in because you've got the best and worst, you've got missing the worst days and you've got missing the best days, missing the worst days outperforms both the control and missing the best days. So it's really important that we use our stops. It's scientifically backed. We need to make sure we follow that science because otherwise we are flying blind. We're going on gut feel. We're shooting from the hip and that is not where you want to be. I was just chatting with Tom Basso, Market Wizard, on the weekend. Tom and I were talking about how long does it take to actually conquer this until you start to feel comfortable. And Tom and I both said, I don't even think we're comfortable yet. So three to five years, three to five years is the beginning phase. We need to hang in for the long haul. And I was actually saying to him, Tom, like if somebody said to you, you were going to be a success, but it was going to take you five years, how would you feel about that? Would you have hung in? And he said, yes. What about 10 years? Yes. 20 years? Yes. Now, everybody will have their own time. They're going to back off because they don't feel they've got the results. And in general terms, Whenever they back off, they are a second away from achieving the returns they were hoping for. Nasty little effect called the Kafka effect. Just before we hit our goal, a fog comes in. We can't see the finish line. We pull back when we should be pushing forward. Markets are tricky at the moment. In fact, I've even been said to say that the markets suck at the moment. <laughs> the thing is, if we back off and we allow that Kafka effect to actually grab hold of us, we will never know what we could have achieved. Now is the time that we educate ourselves, we work on ourselves as hard as we work on our trading plan, and we make sure we stay loyal to our trading plan. It's a bit like um, when you hear about those overnight successes, all those stories, you know, the man was an overnight success, or, the, or this comedian, she was an overnight success. She's been doing it for 10 years. She's been doing it for 20 years. It's That's not an overnight it. success. She's put in the hard work. You know, 
<laughs> it's so true. And we have to be prepared to consider trading in the same vein because unfortunately, some people think of this as a hobby. Now, if you're thinking of this as a hobby, hey, it's a little bit of fun. Oh, wouldn't it be great? Oh, it's a bit like gambling. If any of those thoughts have occurred to you, you're not putting this into its right place in your mind. This is a high performance endeavor. You need to train for this the way that you would for an Olympic event. Just because you can't see your opponent, it doesn't mean that opponent isn't there. That opponent is you. Mm. It is within you to achieve this. And I want to give everybody hope. I've trained so many traders, as you mentioned, Henry. I'm thinking of one gentleman in particular. He had a disability. He fell out of a tree and his friend from the tree felling business ran over his head. He's had 32 operations to be able to reconstruct his face because clearly that is a major event. Watching this gentleman struggle, but because he had such a clear goal and such a desire, such a clear objective to get his mother out of that nursing home, bring her back home so she could be nursed in the home that she was born in. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful mm. goal. He did it. He overcame his own disability. He became that focused trader, that very mechanical, methodical person that it takes to make money in the market. And he brought his mum home. And I love it. It shows that mainly we are able-bodied doing this, but there are a lot of people with disabilities and there is no reason why you cannot achieve in the markets. If you can see that you can achieve, then put in the work so that you can educate yourself and get the results that you crave. Well, I think that's a fantastic lesson for us all, really, um, in terms of that. Now, one thing that always bothers me, um, I Maybe bother's not the right word, but there are an awful lot of people in, in technical analysis and charting where it, it becomes the holy grail to find the, the perfect signal. And it's, you know, trying to build the better mousetrap forever. And th th they never take that leap from trying to build the perfect signal, trying to build the perfect mousetrap into actually making money or making a living from trading. Uh, and I guess we touched on that earlier with going from theoretical to, uh, to practical. But it seems there's so much psychology involved in what you teach and mentor. Um, it's incredible, really, when you think of it. Yeah, you're right. I do think that because I do have my beautiful traders from my mentor program, it's almost like I've got my little tame mice that I can run through mazes and do surveys and find out what makes them tick. I mean, this is what happens when we've got four years of psychology and we've got a target here. So I do think for some people who are very detailed, if they're high on the big five, the, the scale is neuroticism. If they're quite a neurotic type of character, they're going to have to do some more self-work to be able to improve their mindset so that they can calm down and actually implement what they're doing. So there's a beautiful study that looks at affirmations and self-worth. And I do find this fascinating because it does apply to every area in our lives that if we can develop our self-worth through using things like affirmations, through using things like yoga and breathing techniques and hanging out with the right people, reading the right books, listening to the right podcasts, then that can actually improve our trading results. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. The more that you can see ahead, if we can shine a light into your blind spots and say, why don't you think about improving this? Or have you considered that? The difference that that can actually translate in terms of results in the market, it's a beautiful thing. It's within your power to do it too. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm off. I'm, this, is, this is me. I'm going to be a new... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a new man after this. Um, so, so, Louise, assuming that I'm going to become this new man and I'm going to step into this world um, that you, you talk about, um, what, what, what's my first step? What pro, what, okay, what program do I buy for, for, the, for the technical analysis? And, and then, I guess, um, where do I go from there? What's, what's the best advice you can give? Yeah. Well, look, I would suggest, first of all, that you don't buy any specific program. I know this is probably going against what a lot of people think. Just call up a chart on Yahoo Finance. You don't even have to buy a charting package to begin with. You can actually call up any chart that you want 
on Yahoo Finance or on Big Charts or even just Google the name and it will show a chart. Get your head around that first. Consider reading some brilliant books. Listen to podcasts, my podcast, talkingtrading.com.au. I know I provide a lot of information for people in that exact situation. Get yourself set so that you have an interest sparked. All of the market wizards talk about, especially Ed Zakoja, talks about in order to do well in the markets, you have to want this. You have to enjoy it to some extent. And if you don't enjoy the process, at least enjoy the results and pitch yourself at those results. So find out if this is for you. Work out whether this is really where you can call home. And if it is, you've got a career that you never have to say goodbye to. My oldest mentoree was 96. Wow, long-term investor. The, the final 12 years of his life, he was a full-time trader. Wow. He got off the pension yeah. And he was a full-time trader. And that, I have to say, fills me with such joy and pride because for him to know that he was an independent earner at that stage of his life, oh, it was magic. And beautiful Ted, I still miss him to this very day. I was with him the day before he died and I said to him, Ted, what do you wish that you could have done in your life? And he said, you know, I always wanted to trade FX. <laughs> and I'm like, my goodness, wow, he's so immersed in it that on his, literally on his deathbed, he's thinking about the opportunities in the markets. And I said, and what else? And he said, oh, you know, I never really got hydroponics working. Wow. Two things. So good for him. So he had a very long and full life and I'm so proud of the person that he became by, willi by being willing to enter that arena and it was new for him. You know, trading is new for everybody when we start. We all make the beginner mistakes. There isn't a mistake that you as a listener will have made that I have not made. I started trading in 1990. Every single mistake, every mistake I made, I think it was me, you know, look, hey, look at me. I'm great at making mistakes. You know what I'm good at as well, though? I'm good at hanging on in there. I'm good at persevering. And that's what you need in the markets as well, that ability to stick. I love TED. I've, I've got to say, I, I, think I'd, I think I'd fail the TED test when you say, is there anything you regret in life? It, it probably would be places or people or something along those <laughs> rather than I would. So when he was 82, he learned how to play the piano. Wow. Now, yeah, how good is that? So he became quite good at playing the piano and he wrote a song for me and it was about the bulls and the bears and the lilting music built up to a crescendo and then it crashed down like the market and it was so beautiful. So, I mean, sometimes I think people wonder why I train compared to just trade Trading by itself can be quite dry. If you're doing it right, it shouldn't be exciting. It should be an essence of grind in your method because if you are getting very excited about the markets, you're not going to be objective. So try and get your excitement outside of the market action. I love seeing that light go on for people when all of a sudden it clicks and they make the markets their own. That is where I get my kicks from. That's why I've been running a continuous mentor program for the past 23 years and looking after my traders in that way. So yeah, careful where you get your kicks from. That's what I'll say. Yeah, I, I, I do tend to agree with that. Having tried to uh, be a full-time trader at home, it, it was very dull. Um, and yes, I, I, it I, is. I, <laughs> coming from a background of uh, floor trading and working for you know, I worked for Macquarie Bank for seven years, and there's there's people around, and you're swapping ideas, and I really miss that, um, which is you know why I don't sit at home in my Jimmy Jams anymore, my, my slippers um, trading, because I just miss ideas and people, people like yourself talking to people like yourself. It's fantastic. Now. Yeah, I hear you. It's stimulating. And I think this is where we can get our ideas. We need to realise that we're not in competition, that we are sharing these market ideas for everybody's benefit. And that's what I love about your listeners as well, because they're determined to improve. Well, hopefully anyway, and they certainly will if they listen to this, that's for sure. Now, Louise, you mentioned just a minute ago, the worst mistakes 
you made. So, 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 all right, just, just give us a couple of the worst mistakes um, traders can make when they're just starting out on their journey. Sure. Look, I'll give you my worst mistake first, okay, and then we'll talk about, in general, some of the mistakes traders can make. You're an option trader, so I'm choosing an option trade as an example. I had no idea about exposure. I had no idea that if I wrote a call option above a share or an index, what could happen if that thing gapped up? What could happen if it went on an amazing bullish run? Now, for everybody listening that's not an option trader, I'll tell you what can happen. All right. So I took the money from that trade because when you write an option, you collect a little bit of money. And I went and I shopped. Oh. And while I was at the shops buying, 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 all of a sudden, this little voice came into my brain and it said, but Louise, what if that trade goes wrong? What would happen? And I'll tell you what could have happened. $700,000 could have happened. That could have happened because my exposure was so high and based on the price action, if I had have kept that trade open and things had have gone wrong, that would have been a $700,000 lesson. Now, I nearly wet myself. I did a full body sweat. Talk about being aware of heartbeat. I had to find a toilet. I'm being open with you here. It was that dramatic. I sped home. I can't believe I didn't get a ticket. And I, because it was the days before the mobile phone was our friend, you know, can't, can't have a phone to put off an order or put on an order back then. And I got home, I took the trade off and I burst into tears. All right, so if you are finding that you're emotional in the markets, I get that. I totally get that. I was so high and then so low and then so high and then so low for years. Did not understand that the goal was to maintain emotional objectivity and to be quite calm and smooth with my emotions. My poor husband, I mean, one day I'd come home and I'd say, we are going to retire by the time we're 30. It's going to be fantastic. And the next day the market would drop and I'd go, we're going to be living under a bridge in a cardboard box. I hope you like poverty. Do you like baked beans? Because that's all we're going to be able to afford. We can't even heat them up because we can't afford a burner. <laughs> yes, true, true. My goodness. So yes, I would suggest... One of my biggest mistakes actually didn't come to fruition, thank goodness, but it scared me enough that that one trial learning kicked in and I never did that again. I never allowed myself to be exposed to the market by that much with something with specific risk. That's, it, it was horrifying. But hey, we live and we learn. So other things that traders do wrong, they spread themselves too thin. They trade too many markets. They trade too many time frames. They think that they're going to learn very quickly when in actual fact, we take a while to absorb. They trade when they really shouldn't be trading. If there's something going on in their life that is perhaps a, an event, shall we say. They continue to maintain that they're fine and they're going to stay in the market and it's okay that my wife is suffering with a malignant cancer. No, I can still trade. No, you cannot trade. You need to work out when to trade and when not to trade. And probably the other major thing is putting too much money into one position. It's, it's fascinating your lessons because, um, you know, risk reward for me was drummed into me as an options trader, you know, from the word go. I mean, it was, it was, and it was highlighted, I guess, during the 87 crash where all these institutions used to sell us puts for next to nothing. And they always expired worthless until October 87, which is actually 35 years ago this, this month. And suddenly those puts were worth quite a lot of money. And, uh, and we never write puts under an index for that no. reason. Because without protection, you can actually end up in a lot of hot water. And I do think that's something that we can learn from other people's experience with. We don't have to do what I did. No, no. <laughs> Learning, you know, with my own money and with that level of emotional intensity, we don't have to do that. We can actually learn from books, from podcasts, from courses, from mentors, from people who care for us and who want to see us do well. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. Now, now Louise, at the moment, 
the market is tricky. I think you yeah. said earlier that you, th- you think it sucks. Uh, well, well, when we talk about the market, I guess, um, from my perspective, we're talking about the ASX 200. Uh, putting your, um, your longer-term hat on and maybe not even a, a charting hat on, where do you see the index or where do you see our market going in the next maybe three to six months? Is there a target that you have in mind from your work or is it just uh, an ever evolving situation look to be open with you i never put targets on anything because anything can happen but let's have a look at the all lords and compare it to the asx 200 because we know with the all lords it gets rebalanced once a year and the asx 200 gets rebalanced each quarter but their shape the shape of the chart is almost identical so it's almost like you can exchange these two and say that if i'm saying the asx 200 i'm also talking about the all odds now if we have a look at the volatility in the all odds at the moment as a percent it's only 3.17 percent now it's not that high this thing's gone up to nine percent in the past so what are we talking about here the candle bodies aren't all that long And really, when we're looking at that volatility, we want a low volatility environment to be able to trade, but we also want a trend. So trend is so separate from volatility. So currently, the all odds and the ASX 200 is resting right on support. We're at a very critical time. There are a few red candles in the lead down to that support, but it has stopped where you would hope it would stop. We are at a tenuous point. We're underneath the moving average. My macro says don't enter unless we are above the moving average for a long trade. We can talk about separate indices as well, if you like, or um, sectors. So if we have a look around the world, we've got the NASDAQ 100. Now, just in comparison, we've got a volatility percent there, 6.78% currently. And we've got an interesting chart pattern, even though it's underneath the moving average, we've got a series of lower highs, but we also have a lovely floor there. So we have got a descending triangle that we can see on the NASDAQ 100. So we have got something that is, again, not quite ready to trade with something with quite high volatility, which is fascinating. The S&P 500's on support as well as the Russell 2000. Just looking at the FTSE 100, this has a completely different shape. We have got a series of highs that have been punched in at about the same price point or index point as they are in the FTSE. We've got a series of two levels of resistance. So this is saying that we are in a big sideways trend for the FTSE and there's nothing much to report here. We've got a 3.27% volatility rate, which means it will be tradable, but we're really looking to punch through those two levels of resistance first. Uh, Looking at the CAC, very similar to the NASDAQ, we have got a descending triangle as well with just over 4% volatility, which is also tradable. And the DAX is very, very similar as well, except with the DAX, it has just dropped through support. So we're nearly 5% volatility. I'd be interested to see what's going to happen with the DAX over the next two trading periods. If it stays under support, we would definitely have some short potential there. That's just a quick world wrap-up for you. That's a very good wrap-up. It's funny, actually, whenever I look at the FTSE, it's always 7,000. <laughs> and, and no matter how bad the UK gets, and it, it's been pretty bad, it's always been around 7,000, mainly because the currency has been so appalling. And yeah. The, and, the, and the FTSE has such a great preponderance towards miners and energy stocks. But that's really helped it big time. It's, it's not a great index, really, the FTSE 100. I can tell you where the opportunity is in the FTSE is that you could write call options over the top. Mm. The going rate for a written call option in the FTSE is pretty damn good compared to the rest of the world. And the fact that you've got two resistance levels wow, I mean, now you're talking because you've got a double layer of protection. So if you're looking to write a call option over the top of the FTSE, you'd really want it above that top resistance layer. The difficulty there is currently with that volatility rate at 3.27%. That's on the chart. It's not talking about implied or historic volatility, which is what is factored into the options 
category for the pricing, the volatility is not all that high. So currently you're not going to get a massive input in terms of premium. And again, if you're a beginner, can you just take a deep breath for me? All right, because I know I've gone technical here all of a sudden. I just don't want you to be blown out of the water because give yourself a couple of years and you'll be able to understand exactly what I've been saying. Louise, it, it's been a fantastic chatting to you today. It's been a real privilege. I have to ask you, do you ever sleep? <laughs> <laughs> sleep is very important to me. Actually, weirdly, I sleep a hell of a lot. Okay. Oof, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you seem to get an awful lot done. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy it, I must say. This is, um, I'm so lucky to be working in my area of passion and to really enjoy seeing the changes in people's lives once they can conquer this skill. I think that is such a rare gift and I, I'm very grateful for that. I, I think your passion shines through and your care for people uh, shines through in everything you say and do. So uh, as you say, it, it's, it's, it's a, at the end of the day, it's all about helping people and, mm. there's n and there's nothing more rewarding. Okay, you can get, you know, I once saw an Alex cartoon, which... I love me, Alex. Yeah, well, th this one kind of um, made me think quite long and hard because it had a gravestone of a, of a trader and it said, I bought them at two and sold them at four. And I kind of thought, I don't really want my whole life just to be that on a tombstone. I bought them at two and sold them at four. Um, but obviously, you know, with, with the work you do, the mentoring you do, there is so much more to, to, and richness to that, which is fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And if anybody's keen on following up with me, come and visit me at my podcast. So come to talkingtrading.com.au. I do cover a lot of this as well. And I have on some fantastic guests, people who you would recognize the name of, Henry, people that are market wizards, but also people who have decided to make a difference to people's lives in different areas also. So Talking Trading is my podcast. But also, if you'd like my free trading plan template, come to tradinggame.com.au. You can learn to trade confidently and safely, and you need a trading plan, regardless of what system you're using, to be able to guide your every move. So tradinggame.com.au, and you can download my free trading plan template. Louise, thank you so much once again. I wish I'd gone there um 40-odd years ago when I started out, would have, would, have, would have saved me a fortune. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll continue spreading your word here. Henry, I love what Thanks. you do. You're working a hell of a lot of magic, and it's great to see. Thanks, Louise. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you.